Well, it's good to be here this morning. We love having uh, Pastor Rob. He always comes and either shares a lecture with our students, or sometimes we can get him to come teach a class, and that's always a blessing. We have some of our students uh, serving in the children's ministry, it seems. They were all surprised to see me. They thought they were in trouble. Um, maybe we should kick a few of them out, but no, they're good. The ones that are there are good. Um, well, we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Yeah, I live at that dump that the, you guys have retreats at. It's... Uh, Pretty, I'm from Jersey, so it's pretty amazing to live at a resort for the last five years. So I hope you guys can come out to that retreat. I have a friend that just had a, a baby, and uh, it reminded me, uh, we have three kids ourselves, uh, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And I remember that first child that we had, Abigail, just how little sleep I got, because I was so nervous. I thought somehow me staring at her all night long kept her alive. And so I I had one of those little clicky flashlights, and I actually, like, slept head to toe away from my wife, just right next to that little bassinet, and every half hour, I'd just click, stare at her, touch her chest, make sure she was breathing. Sometimes I'd wake her up just to make sure. And I did that for the first three nights, every 15 to 30 minutes. And that was fine, because I could sleep during the day, because I had off work, and I had family in town, but it really wasn't a sustainable model. And so... On that fourth night, I was just dying of exhaustion, and I remember it was a really emotional moment for me. I just remember committing my daughter to the Lord and saying, Lord, if you promise, if you promise you won't sleep, I will, I will go to sleep. <laughs> and for me, a lack of rest was directly connected to not trusting God. She was a perfectly healthy little girl. I just, I just felt like I needed to be the one to keep her alive, and it was a good reminder to start off her life for me to know that her life is in God's hands. This morning, we're going to look at how we can be confident in overwhelming situations if we allow those situations to drive us to prayer and faith in our God who is able to help us. And so we're going to do that by looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We have King Jehoshaphat here. He's a great king. He makes a bad alliance with Ahab, but then a prophet rebukes him, and he receives the rebuke and begins to reform the nation. And as he's doing all this great stuff for the nation, getting their eyes back on God, it's at that moment that Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 happens, and we see that God allows overwhelming situations. Verse 1, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Engedi. And so we think sometimes we have reasons to panic, Right? There are three nations that have allied together to come against Jerusalem, and somehow they snuck up, and they're just, they're just right outside the door, just 15 miles away from Jerusalem is this great multitude. And so just imagine how the people of Jerusalem felt in that moment, but it's how we feel in certain moments, right? Aren't there certain moments in life where you just feel so overwhelmed that there's fear, anxiety, discouragement. Sometimes you begin to panic, and there's this temptation to even doubt, is, is God with me? In this moment, why does God allow overwhelming situations? Why does He allow that in our lives? Well, there's many reasons why God allows them to test our faith, to show us what He's made us into, to be a witness to others. In this passage, I believe that God is trying to draw the people to dependence on Him. He's just trying to draw them closer to depend on Him. And it's a good lesson for all of us that when the waters are rising, we need to seek higher ground. Just like the psalmist says in Psalm 61 too, when my heart is overwhelmed, 
Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's just no option. When the floodwaters are rising, you need to seek higher ground, and, and Jesus is where we go when we're in these situations. And so a recognition of a great need should drive us to great prayer in our God. Now, that's obvious to believers, but that doesn't mean it's automatic, right? There's plenty of things that are obvious to us that sometimes take a few minutes or days to kick in before we start kind of thinking and acting like Christians, How do we normally react in these situations? Just like Jehoshaphat did in verse three. It says, and Jehoshaphat feared. Okay, so it's good. We have a human example here. That's exactly how you should respond when all of a sudden three armies snuck past your defenses and are only 15 miles away. But it's okay to fear. That's a human response. God knows we're just made of dust. And so your initial reaction being human is fine But we have other reactions we can have after that. We have more than a natural reaction. We can have a supernatural reaction because we're born again. And so that's when that peace that surpasses understanding can kick in. So how should we react? We see as verse 3 continues, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so in times of distress, after our initial fear and anxiety, what we should do is seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat sought the Lord personally, right? He set the example here as the king and recognized, I need to seek the Lord on this if I'm going to lead anybody. And we all have that privilege, whether it's with our kids or our family or our neighbors, to set the example and say, Christians are a bit different. We've got added advantages. We have a competitive edge. We have God with us in all these situations. And so we can set the example and have that peace that others lack in those times. It says that he was to seek the Lord. That word seek there in the Hebrew means to resort to or to frequent a place, to kind of trample it underfoot. The idea is that you're, you're beating a path towards God because you frequent that direction so often. So in the woods, you might see this naturally just where animals or people walk, that the, the grass just can't grow there anymore, and that's just a path that, that people or animals have made. We need to have the habit of seeking the Lord be so prominent that no matter what happens, we don't, we don't know what to do, but we're going to seek the Lord first. We don't know who to call, but we're going to seek the Lord first. It has to become second nature to us, and it's what is being done in this passage. They humble themselves by declaring a fast. It says that they they ask others for help. They came to seek people from the other uh, parts of the country there. That can be the hardest thing, right, is asking others to bear your burden. Sometimes we think strength and setting an example means that we just act tough. I have a friend that recently said, yeah, I'm I'm so exhausted and overwhelmed. I had to go in the bathroom to cry so my wife would think I was strong. And I'm like, no, your wife, believe me, your wife wants to see you cry. That's like the thing every woman wants is to see her husband cry, right? That just makes them feel so happy for some reason. They're like, oh, good. He only cries in front of me. We need to ask others to, to bear our burdens. That's what the body of Christ is, right? We're a body so we can minister one to another. And so in extraordinary circumstances, we don't just need ordinary help. We need extraordinary help. So we need to seek the Lord in extraordinary ways. And so What do we remind ourselves of in these situations? In verse 5, it says, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And as he's standing here and as he's about to pray, he's going to give us five principles that we can keep in mind the next time we're in an overwhelming situation. And the first is in verse 6, and it's that we need to remember God is sovereign, No matter how crazy the situation is and unexpected it is to us, God is sovereign. Verse 6, 
and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand against you? Jehoshaphat's reminding himself and the people that our God is the only God, that our God is sovereign, that he's the powerful one, that all nations, whether they believe it or not, will submit to him one, one way or another. And it's, it's really important for us to have that perspective because these overwhelming situations that come upon us, sometimes they seem to be the dominant thing. We seem to have no control, and it seems like, well, I guess God could do a miracle, but he probably... No, we need to recognize that our God is sovereign. So if he allows it, he's allowing it for a reason and for a purpose to bring him glory, to change our character. Don't forget that. The second thing we need to remember is that our God's been faithful before. We sang it this morning. Our God's been faithful before. Verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? He's, he's saying, you've helped us before in battle, right? You know, you destroyed Pharaoh's army. The walls of Jericho fell down. Nations fled before us because of hornets chasing, chasing them out. You've been faithful before. You're going to continue to be faithful. It's not like in our lives as Christians, God has always let us down, but maybe this time he'll help us. That's never the case. That's not our testimony. Our testimony is that God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful even when we're faithless. We have to remember that because it stirs up hope in our lives. We also need to remember the scriptures in these times. Verse 8, and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Jehoshaphat is quoting scripture in this prayer. He's quoting 1 Kings chapter 8 when Solomon was dedicating the temple. And so in his prayer, he's reminding himself of God's specific promise that if, if Jerusalem was ever under attack, if they would look towards that temple and pray, that God would help them. And so the nation in this moment of reform and having a, a godly king does this, and so they can stand on the word of God knowing, wait, God has already promised us that he was going to help us in these circumstances. That's why it's so important to be memorizing scripture and to saturate ourselves in the word of God, to be journaling as we're reading so that the Holy Spirit can remind us of promises as we're going through these situations. They can come right to the front of our mind and we can take our thoughts captive and replace the fear and anxiety with God's word instead of that. So rest on God's promises. And then fourth, remember God's nature. He's good. Right? God's good, God's just, and he's fair, no matter what is happening to us. Verse 10, and now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming to overthrow us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? He's basically saying, this isn't fair. Wait, you're a good God. We had an opportunity to destroy these three nations when we were coming out of Egypt. And if you're reading through Exodus, you'll see that there's times where there's about to be these confrontations and God redirects his people and says, no, don't, don't go that way and don't fight them because those are your distant relatives. And so don't fight them. So God spared these nations 
and told his people, when they were on a roll, right? Pharaoh's armies drowned, you know, Jericho's walls dropped down. They were on a roll. They would have won. And God said, no, don't fight them. And so it's unfair that those very nations would then kill the people of God. And so Jehoshaphat here is just resting in the goodness of God's character. And I'll tell you what, this is the anchor that we need to hold on to in times of tribulation and trials. You know, we have all these thoughts and doubts and, you know, confusion and concern when we're going through these situations. But in all those things, we need to hold on to God is good. If you can hold on to that, then you can have a reverence for God. Even when you're so confused why God is allowing something to happen, you don't know the answer to that question. You can at least say, well, the one thing I do know is that God is good. Even though the situation is bad, God is good. That's, that's the thing that helps you to stay a Christian as you're going through an overwhelming situation. Otherwise, you start blaspheming his name and, and you know, declaring, accusing him of not being who he is, which is good and loving. So hold on to that. And then finally, in this prayer, we need to remember our need for God. Remember our need for him. Verse 12, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you. King Jehoshaphat doesn't boast of his military skills. He doesn't talk about the Israeli commandos and how they're better than the other nations and our training has prepared us for this. He declares in front of all of his people, we need you, God. Like, we, we need you or we're toast. This is three nations against us and we were caught off guard. This is unexpected. We need your help. And sometimes God allows these situations to remind us we don't have it all together our experience isn't enough. This, uh, even like this American economy and the safety and the comfort of, of where we live isn't where real security comes from. It's, it's only from God himself. And God will allow different situations to shake us up in his goodness so that we continue to depend on him because we can be very forgetful. And so unfortunately, sometimes when we have a problem, our eyes aren't always on the Lord. Instead, we're focusing on, on the problem. We really should just glance at the problem and, and gaze at the Lord. And sometimes our prayer life reflects this, right? Prayers filled with the greatness of our problem shrink our faith. And sometimes we, we do that, right? Even in our praying, we're praying, so we feel like we're doing the right thing, but our whole prayer is just describing how terrible the situation is and how hopeless it is. And it kind of shows the, the lack of faith that we have. But prayers filled with the greatness of God increase our faith. And even in praying, our faith can be built up, and others praying for us when we're too weak to pray can build up our faith in who God is. And so we have to remember to focus on God in these situations. And as we do, we can expect God to help. Look at verse 13. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. So this beautiful prayer goes out. You can almost picture a stage and then all the city and, and those that could gather in time from the nation are there listening to King Jehoshaphat pray. Maybe the high priest is behind him, and, and there's just this huge crowd. And when he's done praying, everyone's just waiting on the Lord. It's just silence. Can't, can't hear anything. How long did they wait? We, we're not told. All I know is that they waited longer than Americans. <laughs> we're terrible at waiting. Every year we demand double the internet speed because it's so slow that we're going to die if it takes any longer, right? I know when I look at the microwave and I look at the things I'm trying to put in, I'm like, why, why can't this be 30 seconds? Why, three minutes. One time I put something in the microwave for seven minutes, I thought it would just be burnt to a crisp. I'm like, what takes seven minutes to cook? We always want everything faster and fat. Whenever Shannon's out of town, I just have pickles and cheese, so 
She always preps food for me because she feels like that's really pathetic, but it's, it's what I do. All right. They just waited. In the Bible, sometimes the prophets would wait for days and weeks, and people would give them that space to wait for the answer for days or weeks. Sometimes when we wait on the Lord, sometimes even like in services and afterglows, we're like, Lord, we wait on you. And like 10 seconds later, we wrap it up, and he's just got to laugh at us. The angels are like, you guys are a joke. You know, like, wait on the Lord, wait on him, right? And so God answers their cry for help. He doesn't leave them hanging. In verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So in other words, some random guy in the middle of the crowd. This is who God speaks through. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. So God doesn't ignore those that wait on him. In fact, we're given a promise that he won't ignore those that wait on him. Isaiah 49, 23 says, they shall not be ashamed who wait on me. Those aren't the people that God's going to let feel ashamed, the ones that are actually waiting on the Lord for an answer. And it's amazing because the king is giving this prayer. The high priest must be near. Everyone's staring at him. And, and all of a sudden, some random guy a son of a, son of a, son of a, right? In the midst of the assembly. So some guy in the middle of the sudden is like, <clears throat> and everyone turns around, shh, shh. And this random guy all of a sudden starts speaking for the Lord. Often we think, you know, the only people that can really help us are, we, got, we just have to have a pastor or an elder pray for us. The truth is, is that the person sitting next to you can be just as effective at praying for you because we're all children of God with direct access to the Father. The truth is, is you can go directly to God and it'll be just as effective as your favorite pastor praying for you. Now, your favorite pastor and the elders, they want to pray for you. They'd love that opportunity, but don't ever get confused and think that their prayer is better than the person sitting next to you. A new believer's or a child's prayer can be just as effective because we're God's kids. Random guy in the middle hears from the Lord. And, and the word goes to not just King Jehoshaphat. He was last on the list. He, they said, this is for all those in Judah, so all those in the little villages, you guys in the city, and you, the king. God's word is for every single person. He won't ignore us, and sometimes you might not feel much more than, as it's described here, I'm just an inhabitant. <laughs> I'm not a ministry leader or this or that. I'm just an inhabitant. Well, God's word is for you because you're God's child. And here's what he wants us to know. Here's what this prophet or this random guy says in verse 15. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So this person says, hey, don't fear right? God's going to fight for you. God's actually going to fight this battle for you. And often God is the one that's working and sustaining the, the universe and, and doing, doing everything, and we forget that. We're told to take our emotions captive, right? It, just, it commands them, do not be afraid. I'm telling you, God is, God is going to help you, so do not be afraid. And there's that natural human fear, but we need to take those thoughts and emotions captive and, and replace them with a confidence in the Lord. They have to follow God's plan of attack. God says, you're, you're going to find them exactly here. The enemy might not even know exactly where they're going to come up, but God knows tomorrow 
where they're going to be. And so he says, basically, just be close enough to watch me work. He says, position yourselves. So we want to be close enough to God in these situations that when he answers and brings about the victory, we can give him glory. So to everybody else, it might just seem like a really natural thing that your rich aunt wrote you a check to cover your mortgage that stopped the foreclosure. And everyone's like, oh yeah, your aunt's just really generous. And you're, but you've positioned yourself close enough to the Lord through prayer and fasting and, and getting into the word that you know that it was God's providence and God's spirit that, that put that on her heart. And, and you can give God glory because you've positioned yourself close enough to the Lord. And when, when God answers like this, we praise him. Look at verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping them. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. They praise him, but notice when they praise him. They praise him before the actual victory has happened. They've got the word that was given. They trust in the word, and then they, they sing out praise. But the battle, the victory actually hasn't happened. They, they still have to figure out, is this going to work tomorrow? But in the meantime, they say, we're going to praise God as if he's already given us the victory. It's really the same for us as Christians, right? We will have the victory as well. Romans 8, 37 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so the next day, all they had to do was believe. I say that all they had to do was believe, but we know how difficult that is the next day, right? In verse 20, so they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. So even after this initial faith, they needed some reminding, and the king was faithful to remind them the next day. The word that they heard that was true within the walls of Jerusalem, they needed to have that confidence and reassurance that that same word would be true when they left the walls of Jerusalem. It's probably easy to believe when they were inside the fortified city, but as now as they're leaving that and they're just on a path heading towards the enemy, they needed to be reminded that that was going to be true as well for them. And, and many times on a Sunday morning, God's Holy Spirit will, will, you know, minister to us and give us hope within the walls of the church. But then the next morning when we wake up, we need to be reminded that God's word is still true outside of the walls of the church, isn't it? It can be hard. I know what it feels like to wake up and then all of a sudden you have that, that moment where you realize the pain and the difficulty that just happened the day before and you realize this, this is my life now. This is the pain I have to live with, but God is going to be with me during this, when I go to work, to school, when I go home all week. So this inward belief, it leads to a real outward practical expression in verse 21. It says, and when he had consulted the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and those who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This is like the opposite of worry, right? We're going to sing songs. We're actually going to draft a little choir to leave, leave the weapons with the rest of the army, and they're going to go forward in, and sing. Now, that's, that's real faith because you're the first person to get an arrow through you if you're wrong. So it's like, who wants to volunteer? And somebody volunteers. They're like, wait, we're going to be right, we're going to be right here, and you guys are going to be back there. We're, okay. Right, that's real faith. 
their faith had a real practical effect and change, and they had such confidence that they were willing to be the first that the enemy saw without even their weapons there, staking their very lives on the word of God. And in some way that it's really hard for us to understand, faith moves God to act. Not in the weird way that some corrupt churches believe where if you can declare something by faith, you're going to have worldly prosperity and perfect health, some stuff that for some reason eluded Jesus and his disciples, but that we claim is going to be for us, right? This is a well-taught church. We're not that kind of a church, but there is a connection to faith and God moving. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Right? We, we can't twist God's arm and force him to do something, but if, if God is giving us a faith or if we can stand on his promises, then, then he's going to act if it's according to his purpose. And the opposite is true also. In Matthew 13, 58, it says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So I, whether God's going to work or not is up to him and his goodness and his plan. I just don't want to stop him by having unbelief in my life. I want to declare that God can do something if he desires to. And so we've got six results we're going to see here from trusting in God during difficult times. All right, the first is just real victory. There can be real victory in this life that can surprise us. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes among the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they'd made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked forward to the multitude, and there they were, the dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Everyone's dead. The choir comes over singing, and all they see is dead bodies and some flies and vultures, you know, and they're, and they're just realizing this, is, this happened. This is real victory. When, when, when that prophet said that God is going to fight for us, it looks like he actually fought for us here. God actually used the bitterness and the greed of the enemy to destroy the enemy. So each nation is like secretly plotting to destroy the third nation, but then they're all making those plots and they think they've got it all figured out. And one nation thinks we're going to be the last nation standing. They all end up killing each other. Israel doesn't have to do a single thing except for a watch that God gave the victory. And praise the Lord, sometimes God gives us physical victory. Sometimes the check comes in the mail. Sometimes there is a healing. But there is definitely always a spiritual victory for those that are, that are open to it. There is always that, that, that healing that comes when, when somebody gets their new body in heaven. There's always that, that, you know, that gift that God can give that we can't see with our eyes, but that is even more important the beautiful things that we can have in Christ. And so I had, I had two grandmothers that are with the Lord, and the first, you know, 30 years ago, gets the, the prognosis of terminal cancer. And her, my grandpa says, no way, you know, and goes to every church in the neighborhood and says, pray, pray, pray. You know, they'd only given her a, a few weeks to live. And then she lives 30 years. And she goes back to the doctor, you know, and they can't even find the cancer, and they're really confused about the whole thing. Are you sure you're this lady? And it's 20, 30 years later. There's a real physical victory there. And then my other grandma, when she gets the prognosis of cancer, for her, it, it turned into more than a decade of chemo and radiation and just kind of this real long, painful batter, battle. And then, and then the Lord took her from that. Both ultimately have victory because they're, they're with Jesus right now. 
And we have to recognize the spiritual victory is just as amazing as the physical victory, and God will choose which one he wants to give us. Second result in trusting in God is provision. Look at verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves. More than they could carry away, they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the valley of Barakah until this day. So these armies must have been doing some raiding on their way in. And why not, why not, right? And so they've got all this jewelry and gold. And so Israel didn't have to fight against the army at all. The hardest thing they had to do was gather all the gold. <laughs> that was the work they had to do. You can imagine them a couple days in complaining. My goodness, it's been three days picking up gold. My back is killing me. Meanwhile, their whole army is alive. And they're like, this is ridiculous, you know? All this gold that we're getting. You know, sometimes God will provide for us physically and other times spiritually. But, but look what happens here. I love this. The Valley of Barakah. We actually don't know the original name of this valley because it had to be renamed. You, you have to imagine there must have been some uh, Israelite mother that said, now where was it that God said you were going to meet them and you were going to find them? That's where I'm going to go and mourn the death of my child. That's where we're going to go and, and just grieve for the, the loss of our army. How could we win against three nations? But instead, instead of this place that was intended for destruction, it ended up being called a place of blessing. There was a renaming that happened that is something that every believer can be a part of. You know, instead of that sickness and that diagnosis being intended for destruction, it could end up being that we, we rename it as something of a blessing in our lives. And you know people, and maybe you've experienced it yourself, that after a battle with a sickness or a trial or something, they say, I wouldn't trade that for anything because of what God has done in my heart and what I've seen from the body of Christ and the loving response they have, I'm glad that God allowed this. It was a rotten thing that happened, but I'm glad that God allowed it because he showed up in that situation. We get to rename the places the enemy intends for destruction to be a place of blessing. The results of trusting in God, it's just joy. It's a joyful thing to do. Verse 27, then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord. He made them rejoice over their enemies. And so they bring this story of faith back within the walls of Jerusalem so that the whole nation can celebrate. There, there must have been some form of, of shock and jubilee as they recognize, I, I wanted to believe it, and, and, and people did believe it, and God showed up. And we, go, we all get the privilege of doing the same exact thing, don't we? God, God ministers to us and refreshes us and strengthens us during you know, church on Sundays or in the Word, and then we leave and kind of go out into the battlefield and a discouraging world. But as we see the Lord meet us in those situations, as the Lord gives us an opportunity to be a witness and people respond or he gives us grace to endure and, and you know, respond lovingly to those frustrating people, we can come back in and bring joy back into the church as we declare the things God has done. And we can give him glory and we kind of stir each other up and build up our faith as we joyfully share what God has done in our lives. An obvious result, the fourth one we see here of trusting in God is worship as well. Verse 28, so they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. There are times where you know the only proper response is praising the Lord, praising the Lord. It's just what, he's, what he deserves, right? We sing songs to our God 
because he's faithful in the dark valleys as he is on the bright days. God deserves our worship no matter what happens in life. Another result of trusting in God is, is being a great witness to others. Verse 29, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. There's, there's not even an indication of anyone escaping from these three armies. It's literally the last two people stabbing each other and falling down, and everyone's dead, and then Israel comes over the hill. So it, it could have just been weeks or months later when none of the armies come back that these three nations just need to deduce everyone's dead. And then the word gets out you know, from these nations and from Israel declaring victory to the surrounding nations, and people realize that's impossible. God fought for the people of Israel, and God gets the glory. And God gets, you know, the reverence. And some people may have converted to the true, to true God. This, this witness that we get to have is, it's a privilege, right? Wouldn't it be worth it if you get to heaven and there's one person there that because of your witness is in heaven, right? Because he, he's heard the gospel before, she's heard the gospel before, but because she saw it played out in your life in a situation that was dramatic and tragic in your life, that person is now in heaven. You think of the, the years and decades of suffering that you can go through on earth, but if you try and give God glory in those moments, and it's a witness, and just one other person gets to heaven, that person for all eternity is going to be thanking you for receiving God's grace and being faithful and responding in a way where, where you were a great witness. All of us have such potential to be influential in our community and, and being that witness. And it's quite a privilege if the Lord chooses to use our lives and our pain to minister to others. And the last result we see in this passage of trusting in God is rest, that rest that eludes us when we're anxious and fearful. Verse 30, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. There's that actual rest, that rest that eluded me when I was clicking the flashlight, trying to anxiously see if somehow me looking kept my daughter alive. There's a direct connection to trusting in God and rest, and God giving his beloved sleep if they just cast their cares upon the Lord, for he cares for them. He cares for, he's the only one that can do anything about it anyway, not scheming in our minds and replaying the situation and thinking if I had reworded it or done this or that, maybe the situation would be differently, but just trusting it to the Lord, knowing he's good, it can bring about such rest and peace in our life. Instead of being paralyzed by fear and anxiety, we can still be effective for the Lord. But, I mean, we have to talk about what if God doesn't save like this? Because that's part of our experience here as well. Sometimes cancer kills, sin destroys, cars collide. There are times where God doesn't save like this. This is an amazing example of what God could do, but what about when he doesn't? And we've experienced that kind of pain, each of us, but our pain is not wasted if that trial causes us to cling to God in a new way than we ever have before. Right? If, it's, if it's a new way where we, just, we learn to depend on him in a special way and we, we feel his presence in a real special way, then that trial is not wasted. And we have to think of the paradox of Jesus on the cross, right? Did that look like winning? No, none of his disciples who were mentored for three years even thought that was winning. They all scatter. Everyone's just crying. It looks like Jesus lost and everyone was wrong. And sometimes we forget that God is working behind the scenes, 
behind the scenes, people had no idea what was happening. They should have had an idea. The skies were darkening. There was earthquakes, veils being torn, right? There were indications. But behind the scenes, God was accomplishing the greatest victory from what looked like the weakest defeat that we've ever seen. And there are times where to the world and to yourself, it just looks like you're losing, just looks like this, this couldn't be worse. But behind the scenes, God is doing something that sometimes he'll show you and other times he'll wait till, to reveal till we're in heaven with him. But God is working behind the scenes as we suffer patiently. We can remember our Savior that suffered in that same exact way. And so we might not receive that physical victory now, but God will use it in our lives. And so I, I told you I have these three beautiful kids, Abigail, Gideon, and Titus. We named Titus after the Roman emperor that destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. You know, one of good, good biblical names. We're trying to do all Bible names, but we thought that would be a good one. Um, so we've got these three beautiful kids, right? Just, I mean, six, four, and one and a half. They're just perfect. We just couldn't be happier with them. But our first child is with the Lord. Our first child, we were in New Jersey. I was a youth pastor. We'd been married for three years, and we couldn't have been happier that our, our first child was, you know, in Shannon's womb. And, and 12 weeks after, you know, the pregnancy started, when you're supposed to be in the safe zone, like most miscarriages happen before 12 weeks, all of a sudden we're just going for a regular checkup and they can't find the heartbeat. We're thinking, it's just, I'm like, don't worry, it's just this nurse. She doesn't know what she's doing. And, and we end up having to leave and come back three hours later because the ultrasound tech wasn't there. And, and during that time, we're home literally just bawling our eyes out I mean, my wife like, practically passed out from crying. And I just remember laying on the floor, begging the Lord that if my child was dead, I, I knew he could resurrect my child and I would give him the glory for that. I remember journaling that I would worship the Lord if our child was taken from us because God deserves the worship. And I, I promised God I would do that, writing verses down from the book of Job. And then we go back and sure enough, our, our child had been taken from us, Right? And we leave the, leave the place. I mean, the, the nursery is already almost all done being decorated. And we're coming back to that empty room now. And we pulled over because we couldn't even drive from despair. And the Lord met us in that moment. And while we didn't know the gender of the baby, we felt like the Lord told us it's a boy. And then within seconds, we had this name, Enoch Nahum Dean, because Enoch walked with God and was not because the Lord took him. And Nahum 1.7 says, the Lord is good. And that's what happened. The Lord took our baby, but the Lord is good. That doesn't, you know, it was still the most devastating, painful months and months of grief that we've, we've ever had. Now, that's the kind of name I know you'd get beat up for in fourth grade in, on earth, but in heaven, you don't get beat up. That's one of the benefits of heaven, you don't get beat up. So we figured we could give him a crazy name. And so we just had to deal with that. But you know what? I learned to cling to the Lord in ways that we had never done before. We began to read through the Psalms every, every night, cry through the Psalms, read books on those that had had miscarriages, and I was able to grieve with my wife. We've never grieved together in those three years of marriage in that kind of a way. And we learned to love each other through that and support each other through that. And the church was so supportive through all of that. And then the Lord blessed us with Abigail, and we're so happy with her. And then our next child actually isn't Gideon, it's actually Judah James, and he's, he's with the Lord as well. And five weeks into the pregnancy, he, he bled and, and, and went to go be with the Lord. And, and we promised, Lord, help us to start with the growth and the foundation of, of grief and trust in you that you gave us when you took Enoch so that we can honor you by, by, by grieving in this way for our child. And, and then all of a sudden, when, when Gideon was in the womb, same exact time Judah died, 
all of a sudden he starts bleeding and the doctor says, well, we'll just know in a week or two if, if the bleeding continues or if the baby's going to be fine. And we start thinking, maybe Abigail's our miracle child and we're never going to have any more kids. But the Lord sustained Gideon and now his biggest issue is he has an addiction to Thomas the Train and we're working with it. It's idolatry. It's really pagan idolatry, but we're working. He's four. We're working on it. And then we were done. We were like, we just can't. This is great. Two children, but we have two in heaven, but we just can't. I can't handle the pain. What if the next one goes to be with the Lord again? So we're done. Like, we're done. We're done. But we have Titus now. So the Lord just, the Lord just laughed at us. He's like, oh, you're done. Ha! Huh. <laughs> and gives us Titus. And we're just cracking up that I guess the Lord cared so much that he would supersede all of our efforts to not have a child. And now he's just the cutest little boy. The other ones are like rebelling against us all the time as four and six-year-olds. And we're like, Titus, you'll never sin against us, will you? He's just a <laughs> cute little boy. But listen, this, it's been painful it's been painful, right? And, and the church doesn't even always talk about miscarriage in the right way. And then some people talk about it in the wrong way. And like, I have, I have two children that are standing before the Lord right now. It's a big deal. But let me, let me just tell you that God was good. And we never doubted God's goodness, despite this being the greatest pain in our life. Let me just remind you how good God is. One day, I know there's going to be a moment in heaven where it's going to be Andy, my wife, Shannon, then Enoch, then Abigail, then Judah, then Gideon, and then Titus. And we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And then I get billions of years with my whole family. I think God's good. God tipped the scales. Billions of years with my whole family instead of the 80 years. I've got two guaranteed worshiping the Lord and, and three that we're working on. God is good. <laughs> They're going to do it. They're in Awanas. We're trying, right? God is good. Listen. I want to tell you one last verse because I don't, I don't think Enoch and Judah got to heaven and shook their fist at God and said, no fair. Here's, here's their experience. Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It just was no comparison. Right? They get to heaven and they see Jesus. They see the wounds. They know his love instantly. They didn't miss out on this painful earth that we have. They get Jesus. We get him one day. They have him now. God's good. No matter what we go through, God is good. Don't lose that anchor or else you lose all the benefits of being a child of God. We go through overwhelming situations, every one of us, whether it's us right now or whether it's someone we love right now, we either need to trust in God or come alongside others and bear their burdens and help them trust in the Lord. But that's hard, so let's pray. Father, you need to help us with this. It's not easy, Lord. It's it's been the most painful things in my life that I think of. It's not easy, but you promised that you walk with us through the valley of shadow of death. You allowed your own son to go through that shadow, Lord, to go through that death, all that pain. God wasn't immune to this pain, so we can expect pain, but at least you promised that you will not leave us nor forsake us. You'll be with us the whole time, Lord, and we thank you so much for that. And we need you with us the whole time. And we need our brothers and sisters in Christ with us the whole time, whether we want to be independent or not. We need to open up with each other and bear one another's burdens. You'll help us to do that, Lord. And so we we pray that while it's very natural to have that first response of fear and anxiety and discouragement, Lord, each trial that we go through, may we just beat that path towards you as we seek the Lord. May it become second nature. May that supernatural response that we can have as a Christian kick in faster and faster so that we can be with you during these difficult times. Lord, help us. We thank you that there's so much hope. 
Lord, even, even when it looks like all hope is lost, behind the scenes, you are working just like you did with Jesus on the cross. So we love you, Lord, and ask you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.